We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded as the first storytellers, the first communities and the first creators of Australian culture. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi there, I'm Daniel Moore and you're listening to Season 4 of the Hearing Architecture Podcast, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. In this episode, our host Aileen Chu is interviewing Sophie Bond from Hassel and Anna Silva from SPH Architecture. Aileen, Sophie and Anna discuss gender equity in architecture and how these considerations impact work-life balance in the architecture workforce and how this informed the establishment of the imaginary initiative Archibubs. Let's jump in. Hello and welcome to season four of Hearing Architecture. We are recording from Western Australia on the lands of the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation. We would like to pay our respects to traditional custodians, past, present and emerging. My name is Eileen and I'll play host to today's episode. So today we're going to talk about the theme of gender equity and I just wanted to clarify that and that we understand that equity is an incredibly wide-ranging and nuanced subject. There's also an assumption perhaps that gender equity generally favors women. Uh, we'd like to say that it we are aware that it affects everyone, not just women. Women and unconscious bias, lack of gender-specific data sets, gender pay gap, Career advancement to senior positions, outdated financial and business models are only some of the many, many issues that fall under this theme. So in season three of the podcast in WA, we spoke to Megan White, who shared her experiences of bias in the workplace, in the architectural and planning industry. And this eventually led to her starting her own practice because it worked for her being a mother and having to... I guess, address the issues her children faced, uh, which were more health-based. But yes, so by establishing her own practice, it effectively allowed her to set her own rules when it comes to her own practice of architecture. So this is how she chose to pave her way. We all know that architects bring great values to our communities. The best architects interrogate the systems and environments that they work in. Their work allows us to basically imagine a better world. To do that, the architectural industry must also be at the forefront of good practice and we should be setting industry-leading examples as well. So today we'll be looking inwardly at how we can better support architects through the first tumultuous years of parenthood and beyond. Joining me today is not one but two speakers, the first of which is Sophie Bond. She's a principal at Hassel in Perth. Sophie is a passionate architect who is drawn to complex projects, particularly in the cultural, education, commercial and workplace sectors. She is also the current co-vice president of NAWIC, which stands for the National Association of Women in Construction. She is a fierce advocate for women in architecture and mother of Louis. Also joining me is Anna Silva, a senior architect at SPH Architecture and Interiors. Anna and I actually met in university and she graduated a year ahead of me. She's an incredibly capable and experienced project architect. She manages multiple industries such as mining, industrial, 
health, aged care, and education projects. She's also mother to eight-month-old Amelia. So Anna has been at the forefront of introducing and really organizing regular gatherings for parents in the architectural community in Perth through Archibops, which you might have heard if you're listening from other chapters in Australia. So Anna, would you like to tell us a little bit about Archibops? So the initiative was originally put together by the Imagine Networks in South Australia and Tasmania and was actually mentioned to me a few months ago by the Institute's Gender Equity Committee, which I'm a member of. Being a new mum at the time and having just re-emerged from the haze of the newborn days, I thought it was a fantastic way to get in touch with the community and engage with our other industry members that would understand some of the same challenges that I was facing. So we meet every Tuesday at 10 a.m., and understanding that babies and young children can be pretty unpredictable. Uh, We keep these meetups really frequent, so every week, um, to give parents the best opportunity to actually attend. And weather permitting, we meet at Hyde Park, and we have a group chat so we can check in each week the day before to go through details and confirm. And we've had really successful diversity in our attendees so far. We've got mothers, fathers, we've got newborns, toddlers, institute members, non-institute members, and people from both small practices, large practices, and those that are self-employed. So we've got quite an array, which is really fantastic because it's a really good platform to stay connected with everyone and sort of hear everyone's perspectives from those different points of view. It's actually how Anna and I first met. Um, I was having a chat with Kim Muir, who's also in the, the Gender Equity Task Force, and she realized that our kids were the same age. And it really has been such a nice thing. I think a lot of new parents get connected with a parents group through their local community, but to be able to catch up with people, I suppose specifically in the architecture profession and sort of talk about some of the challenges that are pretty unique to how we work and the things we're, we're going through. So yeah, Anna's been an absolute powerhouse in driving that one. They'll be sad that you're back at work. Who's taking the mantle? Well, <laughs> I'll be keeping my Tuesdays with the Archibubs until September, oh, good. but hopefully it's going to be built up, up enough so it's sort of self-sustaining and it'll keep I rolling it is. Yeah. once I leave. So since starting Archibubs, have you, has it grown in numbers or has it been pretty consistent? What can someone expect coming in for the first time? It definitely chops and changes. I'd say we've probably got a small handful of people, three or four, that come quite regularly most weeks. And the group probably varies from, yeah, like four or five parents plus bubs um, and a nice even range of men and women. Um, but it's it's very casual. There's sort of the zero commitment to continue coming on a regular basis. Um, it's very laid back. So if you're a parent with a Tuesday off, um, I highly recommend it. Absolutely. Yes, I suppose then you'll have to get in touch with Anna until September before we sort out a new contact, I suppose. Yeah, you can just send an email through to either the Imagine Committee or the Institute themselves. And while I'm still running Archibubs, they'll then pass you on to me and I'll give you the link to the group chat. But, you know, once that eventually changes, they'll pass you on to the right person. But you can get in touch with Imagine on the Institute. Amazing. So Archibob sounds like a group specifically for, is it just for people who are expecting? Or if I was a parent and my kids are a little bit older, 
can I join? Uh, zero prerequisites for joining besides probably <laughs> having a bub. We don't actually have any expectant parents, although we would love to have them. I think it's a great place to come and learn a lot of this information and ask questions from other people. So that would be perfect for someone in that position. So far, we just have parents um, with babies and kids, but certainly any age for the kids, everyone's welcome. No one's going to kick you out of Hyde Park. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's the next bit of information. It's at Hyde Park so far. (laughs) Great. Let's move on. So, well, As you both know, childbearing is such an exciting, kind of scary and challenging period. When when you found out or when you realized that you were pregnant, what went through your head? Were you aware of how much or how little it might have an effect, how you work, your routines, how you'd feel? Oh gosh, probably no, not at all. I think I didn't have any idea what impact it would have. I think when I first found out, I was pregnant. It'd be fair to say it was a little bit daunting. I really do love my job and I've been finding my feet in a new role. So to contemplate starting a family, that's a significant additional kind of undertaking to contemplate. And generally, I guess for me personally, when I'm in that situation, you often look around to see who else there is, how they've managed before you. And I think as we've been discussing, the sad thing in architecture is there just aren't enough examples of people who are in that position really at any level and especially not in senior positions. There are some powerhouse women in architecture and many of them are involved in the industry, but if you compare the sort of difference it must be being an expectant father in the profession and how many are probably in your immediate vicinity versus being an expectant mother and thinking how am I going to juggle it all, it's a a bit of a different kettle of fish. So On one hand, I think I found that a bit nerve-wracking and maybe a a tiny bit isolating. But on the other hand, it can be a bit liberating too because you really do have a chance to think about how you want to do things, how you're going to approach it. And even if there is a well-trodden path, no one else is ever going to be living exactly your life with your exact set of circumstances. So I think that is the right way to go about it. And I guess I've never had an exact role model in the sense of somebody that, you know, is me in five years that I've been able to to look to. But what I have had over the years is a lot of different people, sort of male and female and different industries and different professions. And I think I started just collecting little nuggets of wisdom from all of them that resonated with me and felt like it could be applicable to my life and then did the best I could to kind of implement that. But in terms of the question of was I aware of how much of an impact it would all have on me, I'd say probably not. You, To a degree, as much as you want to plan, you do have to take it a bit as it comes. Mm-hmm. Every pregnancy is different. Every life is different. I'm not sure how you found it, Anna. Yeah, I was probably in a similar position. I mean, like you say, every pregnancy is so different and it's sort of anyone's guessing game as to how it's all going to pan out. We actually had, in the few years before I took my maternity leave, we had quite a few people in the office take parental leave which was a good reference point, especially for how I think the directors took it and responded and they were very positive and that was very reassuring. But I don't think there was, or there wasn't anyone in a more senior or female, I should say, in a more senior role, a leadership role that I had for a point of reference. There was someone who was four months ahead of me in her pregnancy, a graduate architect. And so I definitely looked to her to see what she was doing. But ultimately, I think it was a best guess as to how to approach it. And then you sort of 
take it from there. Just keep guessing. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I was, it was a planned pregnancy and I was very happy to have fallen pregnant. But I suppose once you then start attempting to figure out the logistics of how that looks in a career and a successful career, because I'm career driven, you know, I'm very passionate about my job, but also about my new family. So trying to figure out what that looks like was very challenging. And I don't think I had an example to sort of play off. That's great. I think listening to both of you, you really echo a lot of the concerns with a lot of young women in particular coming into architecture and perhaps like yourselves kind of wanting the best of both worlds you want. You want to lead projects, you want to you know, drive your career in a direction that you want to take in, but also kind of being a little bit uncertain and unsure about how that could potentially play into wanting to raise a family as well, particularly because um, making a general statement here, but um, women do tend to take on globally a lot of the um, unpaid and unseen work of caring in general. But I, th- I suppose that's why Archibubs is such a great avenue. And I know you haven't had expecting mums so far, expecting parents, but I suppose looking back, I guess it would have been nice for you to have known that this existed, to be able to look to a community of um, architects who are also undertaking this journey. Absolutely. And I mean, Archibubs has only just started up after my bub arrived. But for those of you who are expecting, I would thoroughly recommend getting involved. Right. I mean, to say the obvious, there's such a significant amount of physical change that occurs during pregnancy. And this varies by, you know, by each individual, you can either have a really beautiful, easy pregnancy, or it can also be incredibly complicated and quite frightful. And if both of you are comfortable, you don't have to, um, are you willing to share about what that was like for you in terms of a work setting as well? Yeah, sure. And I mean, I guess sometimes it's both from, from one month to the next. Um, I suppose Fortunately for myself and in hindsight, I think I found the physical aspects of pregnancy probably the least challenging ones to deal with other than to, I should say, just know that it's never appropriate to comment on anybody's body ever, pregnant mm-hmm. or not, Absolutely. certainly not in the workplace. And fortunately that isn't something that I experienced, but it, it should be said. I think for me more challenging was the fatigue and a lot of things like additional appointments that need to be managed through your pregnancy. A lot of employers, if they're able, will offer additional carers leave that you can take to sort of help you balance that. And if your firm doesn't, you might be able to have a conversation with them about some flexibility or work from home days or different arrangements. But I guess on the topic of pregnancy being such a physical and apparent condition, I think the thing I was the most concerned about was more if people's perception of me would change as a result of me being pregnant. And I think historically there has been a little bit of a lack of agency given to pregnant women. And I think it is often rooted in kindness, but it's based around a series of assumptions. You know, should you be eating that? Should you be carrying that? Are you sure you should be working that hard? Which at the surface seem kind, but they can be really disempowering. So for me, I think as I got more visibly into my pregnancy I just wanted to make sure that people understood that I was still just as capable just as committed to my work um I think I spoke to Hassel very clearly about 
how I wanted to be treated, which was I was still here to run complex projects. I still wanted to be offered all of the same opportunities for for travel or new work. And to their credit, I think that's probably how they would have proceeded knowing me as well as they do in any case. But it did feel really good to make the expectations known. And I suppose the flip side of that is I made it really clear that if my needs ever changed and it was all getting too much and I needed to slow down that I was comfortable telling them that and I knew that they'd be supportive of that too. Yeah, some parallels there with my situation as well. I mean, for the start, I found the first couple of months I was quite anxious. I made the decision, as a lot of people do, to not tell anyone for the first three months. Um, I decided I wasn't comfortable having the conversation about miscarriage with people in my work life. I wanted to separate that from my personal life. Thankfully, that didn't happen. But I think finally announcing it to the office sort of was a weight off my shoulders. That was a huge relief for me. You know, I was pretending to drink and <laughs> to hiding the fatigue and all these sorts of things. I was still doing Friday morning yoga, modifying my moves, swimming Wednesday lunchtime. So it was it was pretty hard to hide. So I was very relieved to finally tell people. Um, physically though, I was quite lucky in my pregnancy. I was um, quite mobile throughout the whole thing. It was probably the only the last couple of weeks where I needed to give myself a little bit more time, travel time to and from work. And my directors did offer me a spare parking bay next to the office, which was really nice. There probably was around the five to six month mark, this period of brain fog, which really took me by surprise. It was quite strong and people would call me and ask project questions. And I it just blanked. I had to just defer the questions and check all of my documents and get back to them, which I sort of built up a bit of a routine around and, you know, it's workable, it's fine, but I was quite surprised by the extent of that. And it was brief and it passed. The only time I did actually have to decline a project within the office was when it was, it required helicopter training. The project required site visits to a remote location and the helicopter training involved being strapped into a seat in a cage and dropped backwards into a swimming pool, having to successfully escape. Oh gosh. And my directors didn't know I was pregnant at the time and thought that I'd be really keen on the adventure because it's very much in my nature. And I just burst out laughing and blamed it on a fear of deep water, which I conveniently do have. So that's fun, but um, felt like a hilariously absurd request. It sounds like a lot of people's <laughs> worst nightmare regardless, like yeah. pregnant or not. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that probably is the exception if you're doing a lot of site-based work that can't be undertaken safely when you're pregnant. Yeah. But other than that, I think just being honest with your employer about the kind of accommodations that you need at the time and it does change month by month. Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't have to pretend that you're you're not pregnant and you're not dealing with something, but at the same time you don't want to be preemptively denied opportunities that you might have liked because someone thinks it wouldn't be fair to ask you to do it. I was reading, I think it was one of Cheryl Sandberg's books, but a piece of advice that really stuck with me was don't leave before you leave. So for me, I didn't want my pregnancy to be a sort of nine-month gradual mm. wind down. As much as I was able to, I, I wanted to keep working. I actually did until the day Louis was born, yeah, or the day before, by accident. Mm. 
he um he was early. That echoes a lot of what I'm hearing from people who are considering childbearing as well. That they do want they do want to continue. They're very keen to continue working, and are very keen on it. I've also heard, unfortunately, people do joke about the brain fog. So I'm really really glad you mentioned it. Um, it's it's very real, um, but. There's workarounds, isn't there? Anna? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it sort of, it did catch me by surprise. i had always heard of it in the past and sort of thought that I was better than it or <laughs> something. But yeah, there's definitely simple workarounds for those sorts of things. It's nothing to be fearful of. Yeah. I mean, so all in all, to summarize, which Sophie's done brilliantly already, um, <laughs> is that don't be afraid to talk to your employer and people in senior positions in your office. Have a conversation with them about what you want and how you would like to be treated. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to make a decision straight away because as Sophie also said, it changes month from month, sometimes week from week, and sometimes even more frequently than that. Just out of curiosity, we know it sounds like both your officers were incredibly, incredibly supportive from the get-go, especially in senior position, which is invaluable. How did the rest of your colleagues react? Like culturally, were there accommodations from them? Were they supportive or was there a little bit of trepidation in terms of, oh, well, who, who is going to work on your project? Uh, I mean, my office is like an extended family and I feel like the responses were as such. It's like they're welcoming a new baby into the <laughs> office family. It's just a new recruitment so, policy. Yeah, something like that, yeah. So definitely no trepidation from other colleagues. And I would say actually some of the most humbling responses were from some of my consultants and clients, which, you know, especially in the chaos of the construction industry, sometimes they're quite humbling moments where you can sort of separate yourself from the project in whatever situation you have and, you know, have a brief conversation about your family and, you know, the fact that I was expecting. And that was really lovely. And I think building those empathetic connections is really valuable, especially in our industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think architecture is so much about relationships. It's ultimately a people-focused profession. And I did find it to be really actually quite overwhelmingly positive. I think like you, it was quite a relief when the news was finally out and the things that I'd been the most concerned about, like clients and people worrying who's going to run the project actually ended up being completely non-issues and they were among some of the most supportive people that I spoke to. I do think that people see the bigger picture for why it's important to retain women through this period and I know you know we're all here to talk about why women leave the profession and I don't think it's all about babies but it is one of the significant points that women leave and never return from so collectively it's in everyone's interest to make sure that this is one area that gets a little bit of focus even if it's not you know individually relevant to a specific person and I suppose just to note there as well the support's not exclusively for women either like it's not just Mm women that have children and a lot of these policies and measures that we're starting to put in place like flexible working and sustainable hours of work you kind of hope that they benefit the entire cohort of working parents and actually anyone else that wants to do something with their spare time that isn't working the kind of hours that have historically been the case in our profession that have been some of the barriers to women staying in the industry once they are returning with children yes Mm. so 
all of the discussion so far has basically been advice to future parents or parents who are considering, you know, uh, how they would potentially navigate practice. Obviously, it's important to do your own research, be aware of what your rights are. But in terms of making things work, do you have any nugget-sized advice you would like to give new parents or future parents kind of just starting to unpack um, maternity leave, paid, unpaid, or when you should go on maternity leave? I suppose that yeah, depends, <laughs> well, depends think, um, on yeah. everyone's individual situation, obviously. Absolutely. A lot of that stuff I just had zero gauge on. What week do you start your maternity leave? How long do you stay on maternity leave for? You know, what does that look like? I just didn't have a clue. So I think I think a good option, if you don't have someone in your workplace that has sort of gone before you and you can ask them the questions, you could also ask your boss what they have done previously with other staff and not to say you do the same thing, but if you want a baseline to compare against, it can be helpful if you truly don't know where to start. You can ask what they've done previously. I, I do agree. I think it's absolutely worth being aware of what your rights are. So certainly the government policies, it's also worth looking into the anti-discrimination laws. There's possibly also some advantage to understanding how those policies interact with any parental leave policy that your, your firm has, and you can ask them what the details of that are. The only thing that I would recommend as a, a nugget-sized bit of advice is not to be limited by it. Because I think as you were saying, Eileen, the bit that you have to factor in is your own individual circumstances and what you want from that time. So I think the best thing you can do is look at that period of time, which is your parental leave holistically and think about how you'd like it to work best for you. Cause certainly it's expensive and difficult and there's challenges to navigate while you're on leave. But the big picture here is that you want to feel supported and empowered to be able to transition out of the workforce and also transition into it. So how do we make that happen? And I think there is some data to suggest that keeping in touch during that time really is beneficial to people who are returning to work. Use your keep in touch days, talk to your employer about trying to retain your mentoring, your performance and development conversations through that time. I found it really beneficial to keep laptops, emails, maybe continue to dial in if you can do it remotely to company announcements, but just try to maintain a little bit of continuity to the degree that you're able so that it's going to be a little bit of a smoother, less daunting ride back into work when you're ready to do that. I think on the other points, like when to go on maternity leave or how long to take, that one really is so individual that mm-hmm. you couldn't possibly make a suggestion other than more than one day before, if you've got the choice. <laughs> <laughs> one more nugget is to be aware that the government paid parental leave scheme can take quite a while to be processed. It can take months after birth. So be aware that if you don't have paid parental leave from your office and you're relying on the government scheme, that there may be a considerable gap between when you finish up and you start your parental leave and when you can actually receive those payments. So it can be worth a discussion with your office if they're willing to make an estimate of what that amount might be. They can pay it up front and, you know, the differences are sort of managed at the end of the day. Um, but being aware of that is helpful. So I guess just to segue slightly before we, we've already talked about a 
a few things if you haven't been listening that firms could or employers can do to kind of pop in and fill some of the gaps. But if you're planning to undertake this journey, you have basic rights and there are three laws that govern childbearing and rearing in a work environment. So they're the anti-discrimination laws that Sophie's mentioned. There's the Fair Work Act and the Work Health and Safety Law. So the anti-discrimination laws basically make illegal, in summary, to for an employer to discriminate an employee on a few grounds. A couple of them are sex pregnancy, potential pregnancy, breastfeeding and family responsibilities. This is important to keep in mind. The Fair Work Act sets out specific standards for employment, including and in relation to pregnant employees, unpaid parental leave, and the right to request flexible work arrangements. The Work Health and Safety Law puts the responsibility to the employer to ensure that the employee is looked after in terms of health and safety. So if you need to attend to a dangerous site, for example, this could be legal while you're pregnant based on this law. So these are all well and good legal obligations by your employer, but there are so many reasons why employers should really do more to accommodate this process, especially in transitioning back into work and accommodating family life in general, because as we know, child rearing doesn't stop after you get back to work. And also it doesn't only just benefit women more and more these days in society. Globally, we're seeing more participation from, um, I suppose, fathers, mothers as well. I am trying not to discriminate based on gender, but I'm using these two in general at the moment. Men, I suppose, are the family members um, who are carers or will step into a primary carer role. Um, and adoptive parents can also benefit from this. So this is something that we strongly believe in and we think should be implemented across the board. So a pretty good example for this that covers quite a lot of the support that we were talking about previously is, for example, your child is sick and you're caring for them, whether you're the mum or dad, uh, this will actually come out of your personal carer's leave, also known as sick leave. So according to Fair Work, a full-time employee is entitled to accumulate 10 days of personal leave per year, prorated if you're part-time, which means if you're part-time, you could potentially have less. And any parent, particularly in Sophie and Anna, you can correct me on this, but with younger children, will tell you that kids don't fall sick for 10 days a year. And when the kids fall sick, everyone else falls sick too. What are the potential solutions here? How can, how can employers step in to provide a better environment in this kind of situation? And how, I suppose, can this grow to accommodate other issues as well? Oh, that's a really good question. Louis sick right now. Um, I, I do think the answer to a lot of these things comes back to flexibility and as inflexible working and an office culture that genuinely enables that one to be the case. And I think the really good news here is that it's something that all firms are actually quite easily able to implement without significant upfront costs, no matter what their size or scale is. Some of the larger firms do offer additional carers leave parents with young children, but 
I think beyond that, establishing a long-term pattern of flexible working that might give other benefits to people in the workforce in terms of their well-being would be really beneficial in supporting working families and really anyone else. I don't think people should have to use annual leave to look after sick children, which has been the case. That's a really important leave category that's important for people's mental health and recharge and it needs to be protected at all costs. So, I mean, really it's as simple as the ability to work from home if you have a sick child or perhaps maybe we could look at a working day that isn't exactly 7.5 hours but maybe you have a total number of hours that you need to get done in a month and you're allowed to flex those up and down which seems to more realistically reflect the nature of project life and also family life but I think that combination of agency to the person to decide how they need to manage their work and family life and the genuine flexibility and empowerment to do that it does go both ways and I think that there's a way that that can work really well for employers and also really well for employees and potentially without some significant expense which can be I guess a barrier to some smaller firms in supporting these sorts of initiatives. So flexible work, there's so many benefits that flexible work affords and like we mentioned before it's not just for women. In fact in architecture now Statistics have shown that even men, and this was taken 2021, where flexible work was arguably at its height, um, equal numbers of men and women are working like the standard full-time hours. But in that statistic, more men are also taking up part-time work. I suppose this is kind of proof, almost proof of the pudding if that's what the saying is, <laughs> that, Something like that. that this, <laughs> this is flexible work is being taken up yeah. by parents. And another interesting statistic is that um, equal, almost equal percentages of male and female architects have dependent children as of 2021. So it's pretty much an even playing field in that regard. And we haven't even got to aging parents and a whole lot of other responsibilities that that people have in their lives. I really think with flexible working, it's kind of got to the point where it's a a non-negotiable. It is an expectation of most employees that hassle regardless of gender. I think every position is offered flexibly. It's going to be a key part of attracting and retaining key talent. And I think in particular, Gen Z's going forward. And I think it offers such a myriad of benefits that I can't really see a reason why any firm wouldn't be embracing it at this point. In addition to that, something Anna mentioned earlier as well with her experience was keeping in mind that there is a gap between applying for your paid parental leave scheme by the government and that gap could potentially be addressed by agreement with your employer as well so that they could potentially cover work the sum up cover the gap prior and I suppose this is more of a ad hoc kind of well it's situation. I, I find it as a pretty it's low-hanging fruit for something to offer to assist people going on parental leave I mean someone's got to foot the gap right you're someone's going to be without that amount of money for let's say 
three months. So whether it's you as an individual or the office as a company, that's a discussion to have, but the money comes in eventually. Maybe someone loses a tiny bit of interest, but ultimately I do think it's, it's pretty low hanging fruit and it can substantially help a lot of people who are starting out parental leave, especially because the time it takes for the government to process that it could be a month easy, no stress. It could be three months, considerable stress, and it could be more. You just don't really know. So yeah, it would be very beneficial for officers to help out in that way. So to make sure I understand for people that aren't familiar with how the government pays parental leave, my understanding is that if you do apply and qualify for the government pay parental leave, your employer effectively acts like a post box for that. So when the government payment comes in, your employer can pass it on to you. I think what you're saying is sometimes it can be really slow for the government to it can. get it into your employer's account and that can create a real cash flow problem at the individual's end that a firm might be in a better position to manage and they will be made good. It's just about the yeah, interim and period. You, you probably won't know the exact figure, but you can make some reasonable estimates. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Great solution. And also a lot of good practice or best practice in terms of this situation comes from having really good lines of communication with your workplace and with your colleagues and particularly culturally as well, creating a family friendly sort of office culture where it's open, it's easy. You don't feel out of place discussing your family plans, being able to ask questions. I suppose Archibob's kind of exists to kind of mitigate that gap if you don't, for whatever reason, you don't feel particularly inclined to talk to your office, but really there should be more of an office culture shift to be more inclusive and family friendly. And I wasn't sure if I was going to bring this up, but I have to because it is amazing. (laughs) Um, A little office chocolate box, as it is so fondly termed, our directors have kindly purchased an acoustic pod and look, it's a multi-purpose pod and we use the term chocolate box as opposed to pumping pod, but it, <laughs> it has become the pumping pod. Um, so that it's acoustically rated. <laughs> it is definitely acoustically rated. Um, so four months before I went on my maternity leave, another female project architect went on her leave Six weeks after mine, another female project architect went on her maternity leave. And two weeks after her, another female project architect went on her maternity leave. So we had, when it rains, it pours. And for an office of our size, we're about 25. That's quite considerable. So as you can imagine, they're quite eager to have everyone return and make sure that's as easy and comfortable as possible. So there are a few of us who are still breastfeeding and they've provided this option for us so we can comfortably pump in the office. No one's sort of going to bathroom, God forbid. (laughs) So it's a little, it's a tiny sort of two by two in the back corner of the office. It is acoustically rated. It's got its own little ventilation system and lighting system and it's simple, but it works and it's really handy just for other people taking private calls in the office. We've got two meeting rooms and quite often people would duck in there to take a phone call, but you know, they quickly fill up. So it's very convenient having that extra space. I think it's a great example to consider, you know, what firms can do differently to support working parents and 
I know there is some nervousness about different firms being able to offer different things. And I do genuinely think it doesn't all come down to who can offer the best paid parental leave policy. I think that there's a huge combination of factors at play. And I know as well through my work with NAWIC, there are similar conversations playing out at all scales. The construction industry is worried that everyone's going to go to mining where there's better parental leave policies. But ultimately, I don't think people move purely for a policy, but they will stay somewhere that they feel like they belong, that they feel like is invested in them and that they feel like is trying to support their life in the best way that they can. So the idea of being able to even look at some of the, I guess, the easy wins, not to say that they're not important wins, but making sure that people can pump somewhere privately or bring in a child if you're needing to go to a meeting and your child cares fallen through or if you're not in the position to offer a fully paid parental leave policy is there a midpoint like being able to offer some additional carer days or even um, a contribution to the gap payment of a childcare subsidy that might not make such a huge hit to a firm's cash flow and bottom line but might make a real difference to that person that's considering whether it's worth it to return to work and would really like to so I think every size firm needs to find the opportunities and what they can offer their staff. And I think the nice thing you were saying about your firm is that they consulted you on what would be valuable to you, which I imagine made you feel really valued in wanting to Absolutely. Return. Yeah, yeah. I suppose, you know, there was a few of us and it, <laughs> it certainly warranted it. But no, it was very nice. And now you're both back into the office. I think, Anna, you just got back. Yeah, Sophie. two weeks in. I am. And my partner is on parental leave now. So... Very excited for the the changing of the guard, <laughs> but it's really nice to be back. And I'm sure the officers are very, very glad to have you both back as well. Thank you, guys. Thanks for a great chat. Thanks for having oh, yeah. us. Thanks for going well. See you at Archibubs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See you at Archibubs. Thank you, Sophie. And thank you, Anna. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. See you next time. This has been Hearing Architecture, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our host, Aileen Chu, and her guests, Sophie Bond from Hassel and Anna Silva from SPH Architecture. Thank you so much for sharing your stories about gender equity and we're looking forward to your future projects. If anyone is interested in joining Archibubs, please follow the Imagine Instagram accounts and you'll see when they post upcoming sessions. Our sponsor Brickworks also produce architecture podcasts hosted by Tim Ross. You can find The Art of Living, Architects Abroad and The Power of Two at brickworks.com.au or your favourite podcast platform. If you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. If you want to know more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy and the Imagine production team was Aileen Chu and Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or any types of advice. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result.
The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.